welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. If you're an ambitious woman who wants to dominate your career, then you are in the right place. This podcast is co-hosted by Nikki Barua, digital innovator, serial entrepreneur, author, and speaker. And Monica Marquez, ex-Googler, diversity expert, and senior corporate leader. From inspiring stories to cutting-edge strategies, you'll learn how to develop the skill set, mindset, and tool set to get future-ready fast and accelerate your success. Hi, I'm Monica, your host for today's episode. Do you know what it takes to land a job at the biggest and best organizations in the world? Do you have the skills, the competencies, and drive, but you find the whole job search and interview process intimidating and difficult to catch a break? Well, today, I have a conversation with Giselle Ruiz, a key leader within the global talent acquisition teams at ByteDance and TikTok, who shares with us her journey as a proud first-generation bilingual Afro-Latina with a deep connection to her Dominican roots, and how taking risks and changing lanes helped her build her career as an expert recruiter what her successes and failures have taught her, and how she empowers all of her recruits by telling them they are lucky to have you. Giselle has led talent acquisition and diversity and inclusion initiatives at top companies and organizations, including the Broad Center for the Management of School Systems, NBC Universal, the Walt Disney Company, Creative Arts Agency, Google, Facebook, and most recently, TikTok. She is incredibly committed to the empowerment and elevation of those from disenfranchised, marginalized, underserved, and underrepresented communities, especially Latinx and black and brown women. Giselle has over 18 years of experience developing and executing engagement, outreach, recruitment, and selection strategies of top talent across various functions and positions, ranging from internships, professional development programs, middle management, and senior level executive leadership positions. Visit imbeyondbarriers.com where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources referenced in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Giselle. Welcome, Giselle. Thank you so much for joining us on the Beyond Barriers podcast. We are so excited to have you on, and I am more than um, thrilled to be able to bring to our audience um, perspectives from a uh, someone who, you know, is in the workplace, in the tech industry, in a very kind of male-dominated, um, and someone from a background that isn't really represented in the tech space. So really wanting to dig into those pearls of wisdom you have and kind of, you know, how, how do you as a, you know, Afro-Latina um, navigate the workplace and whatnot. So let's start off first by just telling us a little bit about who you are, your background and um, your journey and what you've learned along the way so far. Awesome. Awesome. Well, first and foremost, thanks for having me. Uh, Feliz Viernes. Happy Friday. We made it, y'all. Yes. Um, <laughs> hopefully, uh, everyone's got a glass of, of uh, wine in their hands, and, and I will after this. But uh, <laughs> by introduction, uh, Giselle Luis, I am a first-generation Dominicana. My family immigrated here in the 80s uh, to New York City, like most uh, Dominican families. That tends to be where we start. Um, and I was uh, raised in Boston, first in my family to go to college, undergrad, graduate degree, and in the future, hopefully, a PhD and doctorate. Um, I started my career in higher education, mm-hmm. still have a really strong commitment to ed reform and education as sort of like the main equalizer, especially mm-hmm. for underserved communities, 
transitioned uh, in 2007 into corporate world and, and sort of sold out a little bit from my education peeps um, and joined the entertainment and media industry. Uh-huh. Spent a decade working in entertainment and media um, and uh, worked at three major companies in entertainment, NBC Universal, the Walt Disney Company, and led and ran a recruitment for Creative Artists Agency, which is the largest and most dominant entertainment talent agency in the business mm-hmm. um, before transitioning into the tech space. So in tech, uh, I had the opportunity to work at Google, which was my first foray. Um, spent some time at Facebook and recently joined TikTok. Um, And in terms of what I do, I work in global talent acquisitions, primarily focused on building teams and recruiting, um, and that I do with the lens and intersection of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So how can I provide access and opportunity and open doors for people like myself and others um, that aren't represented within this industry? That is fantastic. And there's so many parallels in in your background and mine. And I think that's why you and I just immediately connected. um, Just when we first met, Uh, we both have a history at Google, we crossed paths barely. (laughs) But but just, you know, talking a little bit about you mentioned, you know, first generation college, first generation corporate, um, and some of the challenges that you know, when you you get into um, the corporate space, and you know, I too went from higher ed academia into corporate. Um, tell me a little bit about some of the um, challenges that you had, or maybe the because I don't know about about you, but I know I immediately had a bit of a culture shock, right, of going into a corporate space and and not realizing how. Um, how different it was going to be. So talk to us a little bit about some of the challenges that you initially maybe experienced um, making that transition from, from academia to corporate. And um, how did you, how did you get past them? Sure, sure, sure. So um, my foray into corporate was actually not a chosen path is what I like to say. It was chosen for me. Um, I've been very fortunate throughout my entire career of always being presented with a, a, a variety and a multitude of different opportunities. And I'm all for forging ahead and going through doors, even if they're not the ones that I uh, set up for myself, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, have always been a firm believer in that. And so I had a really good friend who uh, had worked in entertainment um, at NBC Universal from internship all the way to a leadership role within the company. And mm-hmm. she was transitioning into uh, a different um, entertainment company and had literally called me on a Friday night and said, hey, I'm going to quit my job on Monday. Would you be interested in this opportunity and moving to Los Angeles and, you know, running campus relations for NBC Universal? Um, and if you are, like when I go in on Monday, I'll resign and I'll give them your resume. And I was like, girl, what are you talking about? (laughs) First of all, I just spent $100,000 on a master's degree in higher ed, right? I was Uh like in Boston, which is where I grew up. And um, academia is the industry, right? It's the Hollywood of Boston. Mm -hmm. Um, I had every intention of becoming a college professor and and really sort of a dean and really sort of staying the course in Mm -hmm. academia. Um, Not at all had I ever thought about transitioning to corporate and or moving across the country to a place where I had no family or a city or state that I had never been to. But Mm 
mm-hmm. uh, you know, long and behold, I, I definitely took the opportunity and sort of words of wisdom that she gave me. And this is a still a dear personal friend and a woman mm-hmm. of color and a leader in uh, the entertainment spaces. It relates to diversity, equity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, I call her my guardian angel. Um, so shout out to Joy Pena. And um, she said to me, if you can, com- if you can convince them that recruiting is recruiting is recruiting, right? At the core, what you do, mm-hmm. your specialty, what you bring to the table, um, in essence, can translate. And if you're willing to learn the entertainment industry, right, where you have a gap, mm-hmm. then you'll be fine. Um, and she absolutely was right. Right. And so I made that transition. I moved to LA literally two and a half weeks later, um, just kind of packed what I could in a bag and and just went for it. I feel like if I would have stopped to think about it, I would have never done it. (laughs) Um, and, and, you know, to your question, it it was a complete culture shock, everything Mm -hmm. about it. Right. I was 26. Um, I had never left like my sort of regional home area, Mm -hmm. except for actually I did study abroad in, in Madrid in college. Um, but came right back to Boston and, and used to, you know, built my career there um, and, and didn't have, you know, many friends or family here. So no community, no tribe, which I think is like mm-hmm. first and foremost now. Um, and like NBC Universal at the time was super corporate. It was owned by General Electric, Six Sigma, all of these like pretty intense, hardcore HR pillars and practices. And I was like, Y'all are like, this is a different language. Um, mm-hmm. I don't even know how to navigate this space. I don't know how to go from working in my little admissions office, you know, at my college or institution to this behemoth of a major organization where I have to watch my words and, and be politically correct and straighten my hair and wear a suit and just be so mindful of sort of like prevalent white dominant male cisgender culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I tapped out. I was like, after a year, I was like, I'm good. Like this is entertainment. This is not what I want to do. And, um, you know, loved LA and was sort of thankful for the opportunity mm-hmm. and decided to stay on the West Coast. Um, but, you know, didn't know how to navigate it, didn't mm-hmm. have anybody there to support me to figure out how to do so or how to push through. Mm-hmm. Um, so in essence, ended up just quitting my job, you know, mm-hmm. and saying like, I can't do this. And this isn't for me. And I tried and, um, and, and I kind of just, uh, you know, tapped out which I would not recommend mm-hmm. anybody doing necessarily in that manner, but I didn't really have anybody to advise me otherwise. No. And I think that's a really important point that you make. I mean, there are two things, right? Um, one, I think you did have a sense of clarity, right? You, you, you honed in on the clarity that this was not for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, I would say, I honestly commend you for saying, you know, this isn't the right path for me. And rather than doing what many people do, right, a lot of women or, you know, just professionals make the mistake of getting caught or stuck in a career because they think that's what it's supposed to be, opposed to, you know, just stepping out and saying, okay, that's not for me. Um, what helped you gain clarity of like what, what your strengths truly were and, you know, after you decided, hey, I'm, I'm out, this isn't for me, what did you do to kind of regain that clarity, pull yourself together and then, and then you know, continue? And, you know, you still landed in some really great organizations doing the work that you were doing. How did you pick yourself back up? Sure, absolutely. Um, so first and foremost, it was not neat and pretty by any means. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think my initial response was like, I have a master's degree and I speak Spanish and I have like, you know, 
six, seven good solid years of experience under my belt, like I could go work anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't have a lot of humility around my decision. So Mm -hmm. that led me to the unemployment line for about eight or nine months uh, in between (laughs) uh, opportunities. Uh, But what I did do within that time is is definitely get uh, have more self awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, build some humility and and also tap into some other sort of skills um, mm-hmm. that maybe w- were dormant. So I started doing a lot of uh, coaching and college counseling mm-hmm. um, and, and sort of tapping back into my academia um, experience. And mm-hmm. even though it wasn't necessarily back in admissions or a particular institution, I was doing it more on an individual basis, on a consultant basis for some organization, and just really leaning on some of the experiences and the skill sets that I had in my back pocket right. um, until I identified a new opportunity. And then when the new opportunity that I identified uh, was actually identified for me, I had a, a sort of a headhunter, a staffing agency, a recruiter who is now a dear friend and still someone in my network as well, mm-hmm. um, reached out about the opportunity to go uh, sort of lead recruiting at Creative Artists Agency. And honestly, if it weren't for the fact, first of all, I had never heard of them, right? Because coming Mm -hmm. from Boston and coming from academia, like entertainment to me, I don't understand that industry. And Mm -hmm. so when I went to NBC, I was like, oh, this is entertainment. Great. I don't like it. So that means I don't like entertainment. Um, And so when she came at me with an entertainment opportunity, the only reason I didn't say no, and if she would have caught me like maybe a couple months earlier, I would have. Um, is because I needed a job. Like, I was just like, I can't say no to anything. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so it forced me to really explore that opportunity. And I'm immensely grateful because it was six of some of the best years of my professional career mm-hmm. um, and personal life. Um, but it, it solely was because I was at a place of, um, you know, I need to get back into full-time work um, after leaving NBC and sort of being scrappy in the interim to, to do what I could uh, to help support myself and also to continue working. So what I hear from you is that there were some really important things you were doing, though, in the interim. You didn't, um, you know, you continued kind of with that growth mindset of continuing to learn new things, like you said, skills that had gone dormant and making sure that you were staying current and, um, and doing things, tapping into your strengths, right, to keep going. But the other important thing that I hear you is that you leveraged your network, right? You, you, a lot of your opportunities are coming from individuals who are finding these opportunities for you and coming to you because they're a good fit, right? Um, and so that's one of the things that I've, I've noticed in, in one research and, and, you know, reading, but also working with a lot of the women that we work with in Beyond Barriers where they don't leverage their networks as much or they don't value the power of their networks. Mm-hmm. Um, you personally, what, what patterns have you observed that you think prevent women from really building powerful networks or actually leveraging those networks? I could talk about that particular subject on its own forever. Um, listen, I think that white men are, are like master networkers, right? Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of it is, in, is inherent and a lot of it is also, you know, they've been raised and sort of trained mm-hmm. um, to sort of support and connect with one another and, and everybody else has not. Um, women primarily, right? And mm-hmm. uh, there's, also this, there's also this myth around um, women and the ideology of like tough love and mm-hmm. supporting each other from far away as opposed to like, allowing it to come from a vulnerable place. Um, mm-hmm. we, we, we sort of are, are raised to believe that we, we must maintain strength at all times and that weakness is limiting. And, um, you know, so we, we show up in that way to corporate settings and with each other. 
mm-hmm. right? I know that like my role models, um, especially my Latina role models are, have the best poker face in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've never seen them, you know, not be professional or not be fully put together from head to toe. And as much as I admire that, it also gives me like so much sadness <laughs> because mm-hmm. I think there's a lack of opportunity for a, of us really leaning and supporting each other through the good and the bad and reaching out to each other at all levels. Peer mentorship, I think, is understated, mm-hmm. right? We're always looking for that senior leader to be our mentor. But what about that person that is, you know, your peer and, and, and could and offer just the same amount of support, uh, if not more, because they might even be more available or not at the strategy level in their career, but really still at the ground level doing some of the same tactical day-to-day work that you might be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so I think that, that networking is an art. Um, I think it's understated. Um, I personally, every single opportunity I have ever had, and I've worked at 10 different companies at this point, I'm, I'm in the like witness protection program. Um, <laughs> they have all been opportunities, um, a reference, a referral, a contact, you know, more than likely someone I worked with that said, hey, you know, when I went to Google, it was because my personal Oprah, you know, um, mm-hmm. she, she got poached to go to Google and three months later, she called and said, do you want to be the number two on my team? And, and I was like, hell yeah, right? So mm-hmm. um, when this pandemic started and I was in the middle of my job search and everyone was like, absolutely not, you're never going to find a job. Um, I ended up at TikTok because of someone in my network that referred me to the person who is now my boss. So mm-hmm. the strength of it is so real. Um, and, and, and doing it not just for the purpose of getting something out of it, right? right. A lot of my relationships have been long-term that I have been building um, without any interest, you know, mm-hmm. just with like the ideology of like, hey, I see you, you see mm-hmm. me, we should be friends, we should be colleagues, we should explore mm-hmm. opportunities and ways to work together and partner in some way, shape or form. It's not always a, when I'm looking for a job or when I need something. Um, I always offer some sort of service, anything I can do to help, to coach, to support, mm-hmm. um, even if it doesn't benefit me in any way, shape or form. So um, I think, again, I think networking is underrated, especially for women, especially for women of color. Um, mm-hmm. And I'd love to see us find more ways to mentor each other, uh, to buddy up and to really, really um, network amongst ourselves. No, that's fantastic. And I think, you know, the critical message there is, like you said, of really, you know, leveraging and you and I both know, right, we both have so much parallels, but even in the recruiting space and talent acquisition, I mean, the, the, Statistic is, is, you know, staggering in terms of, you know, 70 to 80% of the roles get filled through referrals, right? It's very rare that we're going to fill a role based on a cold resume that's going to come through the, you know, online system. It, a lot of the times it is going to be through referrals of people who know, you know, know either you or know someone within the organization. Absolutely. A thousand percent. I I didn't realize that the statistic was that staggering. That's a little bit scary to me. (laughs) It is. It is. And and unfortunately, it can create to some of that systemic bias, right? Where if you do have a predominantly, you know, white male cisgender organization, well, then those referrals are going to skew that way as well. So, you know, it's one of those things of of how do we remedy that in in that, that regard. But talking a little bit and digging a little bit deeper on that, because you made a really great point is that, you know, um, you know, the, the white male or the, the, you know, the dominant culture, they kind of have been raised 
really learning how to network. It kind of is this innate skill that they learn. Um, but that said too, you know, um, I personally some of my successes, some of the doors that have been opened were open from people that don't look like me, opened mm-hmm. by, you know, the male or the, the, the white female who didn't look like me because I didn't have role models that were senior in those roles. So can you tell me, uh, you, know, have, you know, how have you leveraged your community in that way? And how have you built those relationships with people who don't look like you in order to, you know, make sure that you are, um, you know, having that sponsorship and that mentorship sometimes when there's that lack of representation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I've, I've had, I've had a, a lot of great leaders, um, white male leaders specifically, or white female leaders along my journey um, that definitely were, were helpful and opened doors for me. And, you know, I think about my time in, in academia, uh, probably one of my favorite leaders of all time uh, was a white cisgender male and just was someone um, that everybody wanted to emulate and was super supportive and, and really great at making sure that we were all set up for success. Um, mm-hmm. When I went to CAA, um, I had a white female, white Jewish leader um, who was challenging in her own right, but really was great about seeing my talent and my potential mm-hmm. um, and opening that door for me. Um, and I remember, funny enough, and I, and I said this in a conversation earlier today, um, you know, when, when you transition out of a job, when you leave a job, when you're unemployed for a certain period of time, you're so nervous going into interviews of like, how do I explain that? And how do I like help them understand that I'm still a good candidate? Um, and she said to me in one of my interviews, like, I can tell you're nervous about this. Just know that once you get your next job, you'll never have to talk about it again right? Mm -hmm. It'll never, ever come up again um, as something that you feel is a reflection of you. Um, And I've carried that with me a decade later, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, and she was a white leader and always incredibly, incredibly supportive of me. There were definitely times in that journey where I had to provide a lot of education and awareness to her as well. And there were Mm -hmm. definitely times where she tokenized me and, you know, whenever um, anybody, uh, anybody sort of highlighted my accomplishments, she would sort of do the white savior thing of like, Oh, isn't she great? I found her, you know, my little Brown girl. Uh-huh. Um, so I had, I definitely had moments of, 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 you know, and, and I'm going to assume those were unintentional moments, mm-hmm. um, but definitely had to take the time to, to sort of check those moments. Um, and then my leader now at TikTok is a, is a white guy from Buffalo. Um, he happens to be based in Beijing and has been there for over 10 or 11 years. Uh-huh. Um, and we are constantly having, com- he's a great leader, um, regardless of what his, you know, racial background mm-hmm. or gender is. Um, but he's also one that's very like astute on the fact that like, I am an, a, a quote unquote other or underrepresented mm-hmm. in my organization. And um, he makes sure to be really thoughtful about having even challenging and very uncomfortable conversations for himself about what he does or does not know um, and how he can be supportive of me as well as others on the team um, that also are from underrepresented groups and, 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 and prioritizing for our organization um, this ideology of hiring for inclusivity and sort mm-hmm. of being a, a diverse workforce. So um, I think that allyship is critical, mm-hmm. um, but I think it does come with some different challenges mm-hmm. um, because it does mean that 
sometimes with allies, you, ha- you do have to sort of do the extra work of bringing them along, mm-hmm. meeting them where they are in their journey, not being judgmental in any way, shape or form, um, but also understanding that like their context is just different from yours and that, you know, sometimes you might have to say, hey, what you just said in that meeting was offensive, even though I know you didn't mean it that way, or right. that was a microaggression or, hey, let me tell you what, it, you know, what, what imposter syndrome is. And, and, and I, those, those conversations as uncomfortable as they can be are necessary and critical for everybody's growth and, and is a part of our learning journey. That's absolutely critical. And I'm so glad you shared that because, um, you know, what some of these relationships do turn into are kind of this reverse mentoring as well. Like they might be as much of a mentor sponsor to you. But, you know, I remember a leader telling me like I, you know, when I said, you know, thank you so much for everything that you're teaching me. And he was like, are you kidding me? What you're teaching me is nothing. I mean, compared to um, what I'm teaching you. So, I mean, I think that was really important in you saying, building that relationship to where there is that level of trust, where you can have those Mm -hmm. teachable moments and have those courageous conversations, but they don't derail the relationship at all. They take take that feedback as a gift and vice versa, Mm -hmm. right? Like you said, you know, we both, we all have to look into that with, you know, just um, without the judgment and and without the assumption. And, And sometimes, yes, it can be a burden in terms of saying, okay, this is another teachable moment, but knowing that. Um, you know, that they're going to learn something and take something away from that. I think that's, that's fantastic. Um, now, I would be remiss because I know that a lot of our listeners are probably thinking, okay, we have a, you know, talent acquisition, a recruiter from TikTok. Um, you know, what does it take to get a, you know, a role at a, at a technology organization like, you know, a TikTok, a Google, at places that we've worked before? But more around, you know, you touched on it a little bit yourself too, right? We as recruiters also have to interview for jobs. How did you, you know, what are some of the things in terms of how do you prepare for these interviews, especially when you have a gap in the resume? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the tech industry is sort of like notorious for um, having these like ominous processes and really challenging um, tier after tier of level um, of interview process that you have to sort of pass. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think what it takes is like, first and foremost, you got to saddle up for that. And you have to sort of like <laughs> stay the course and be really committed um, to, to sort of like not taking it personally and staying really professional throughout the entire process. Right. Um, however long it might be, however many interviews you might have to uh, go through, however many hurdles you may have to jump through. But I do think what um, what has helped me or what I've seen as successful for others that are exploring opportunities within the tech industry. And listen, we're not Google, we're not Facebook at all yet. Um, and, and, you know, as two institutions that I were a part of, I do think that we're a little bit different in our style at TikTok. Um, you know, I think we're a lot more gate openers than gatekeepers and we're much mm-hmm. more about culture ad than culture fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, we're really focused on, you know, identifying in, within our organization as much inclusivity as possible and understanding where our gaps are from inception as opposed mm-hmm. to embedding it down the line into our process. So, but back to your question, um, I think it also depends where in tech, right? If you're an engineering talent, those mm-hmm. are really technical, tactical skills. You just got to level up. 
stuff. You got to be tight. You got on your coding and get a coach if you can as an additional mm-hmm. resource and support um, to be able to get through some of those really technical steps. Um, for the rest of us who like could barely spell the word coding like myself, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's the right mix of... Um, you know, being really clear, concise, succinct about who you are, what your skill set and expertise is, what you bring to the table, how you can, what your measurable impact and results have been to date and the work that you've done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then really aligning that with your ability to be able to hit the ground running mm-hmm. and have immediate impact. So one of the things that's really prevalent in the tech industry is that like we move a million miles an hour, right? Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of candidates that are really, really good at what they do and probably the strongest on their team or in their organization, but mm-hmm. just are not able to cut it in terms of speed. Um, and the expectations of the tech industry, which is, you know, scrappy, it's build as you go, it's fail, but fail quickly. Um, It's the ability to to pivot at any point in time and sort of like work in this hyperspeed, reactive and proactive environment. So I Mm -hmm. think going into interviews, knowing that and having very specific examples of how you've done that in previous institutions and being able to connect those lines and show the transferability, show that you've done your research and your homework and you know and are aware that those are the expectations. Mm -hmm. Um, Asking in your interviews questions around like, what are particular gaps or concerns that you might have about me being able to do this job and then Mm -hmm. giving that recruiter the opportunity to answer and then you having the opportunity to reflect back on what they said to really address those concerns in the room as opposed to post the interview. Um, Read everything you possibly can about that company, right? Just like be a subject matter expert in that particular institution. I know before I started my interview process at TikTok, the only thing I knew about TikTok was my six-year-old goddaughter is running around doing, you know, (laughs) savage and every dance challenge out there. I didn't know what it was. I was like, oh, this is a kid's thing. Next thing you know, six months later, I'm interviewing at TikTok and I'm like, oh, I might want to figure out what this, you know, what this thing is. So I just became a voracious reader and, and like anything and everything that had to do with TikTok and the, the tech industry or what was going on in this space. Um, I just hovered over and doubled down to make mm-hmm. sure that, that I was really, really prepared. Um, know your resume in and out. I think we all write resumes and then we like put them to the side and never look at them and then they collect us <laughs> and then we go into interviews and don't look at them either, right? And recruiters right. too, we're like, oh, your resume. And then we just put it down and start interviewing. No one's looking at the resume anymore, uh-huh. right? So make sure that you know some key things from your resume that you can immediately pull Mm -hmm. to answer questions with, again, tactical examples, measurable impact. Don't talk in circles, but really Mm -hmm. being able to have pointed responses. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I think for like getting attention before you even get to the interview process. um, Yes, definitely apply. Don't apply for everything, right? Like this isn't Bumble. Mm -hmm. We're not swiping. You don't want to throw your name in the hat for absolutely everything you see that looks desperate. Recruiters, we're not fans of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you can apply for multiple jobs and make sure that they're succinct and they make sense and there's synergy between what you're applying right. for. Mm-hmm. Um, so be mindful of that and then just use your network and your resources. And I always say use your personal network too. People in your personal network have jobs too. 
um, <laughs> to try to identify someone within the sixth degree that's somehow connected to that organization that you're interested in that hopefully can connect you to someone, even if they're not on the recruitment team and your outreach is just, hey, I'm really interested in opportunities at your company, you know, Google, let's say, and, mm -hmm. um, you know, we have a mutual friend. I'd love to have a virtual coffee chat, right? And mm -hmm. don't make it about the job, make it about just connecting. And then the job stuff will organically just happen mm -hmm. um, in that conversation. So th those are some of like the, the key things that I would recommend in terms of getting into the tech world. That's fantastic. I mean, that's, that's quite a bit of insight. And I think, you know, people will take a lot from that. One of the questions I had, and I know that, you know, um, they may be interested in is you as a recruiter and, and understanding how, um, you know, what you're trying to assess in the interviews and, you know, what can make or break an interview. What are some maybe common trends across, you know, some of the interviews that you're having with some of our, you know, um, black, indigenous, people of color that, you know, what are some typical mistakes that they make that trip them up that may, you know, make or break the interview for them? Just because we don't have a lot of exposure to that, right? There's not a lot of people yeah. who coach you about it. There's a lot here because part of the, a lot of the challenges and mistakes we made are based on what the expectations that were set in terms of what we were told and who we were told that we were supposed to be when walking into an interview. Right. So we're taught to code switch and we're taught to sort of like lean into our white dominant culture and white voices. Mm -hmm. And that inherently is just not authentically who we are. Right. So I'm not telling you to bring like your G from the streets. I mean, you still got to be <laughs> professional and put together um, first and foremost, but you know, how can we all just learn to be our professional selves version of ourselves without that having to be, you know, the, the white version, uh, you know, or, or the dominant mm -hmm. culture version of what I've been taught. Right. And because mm -hmm. you, you go into those settings and then you just don't sound like yourself. And that right. in itself is already like the biggest hurdle to, to overcome when you're not comfortable in your own skin, it shows, Mm -hmm. um, to the other person. And so I think we trip ourselves up with, with that. Um, one thing that I've heard, which is interesting enough, and this comes up a lot in sort of like a selection analysis that I've done, um, <clears throat> as it relates to diverse talent, mm -hmm. you know, Latinos were very collaborative, uh, people. Mm -hmm. We talk in we's, we mm -hmm. never take credit for what we do as individuals. Mm -hmm. Um, and when we're, you're in an interview process and they want to hear what you've done and what you've contributed, right? If we think about American culture, it's very, um, singular, it's very mm -hmm. individualistic and not necessarily collective. Right. right. So if you think about the systems that have been set up of of what is seen as success, a lot of it is measured by individual contribution. Latinos, we are not individual contributors in that sense. Right. right. And so we're walking into interviews being asked questions about what what you've done and we answer them with what, what we've done, what our teams have done. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that because we're giving credit to the whole, but it, mm -hmm. it, it is going to be looked at as you haven't done much or you mm -hmm. haven't contributed much um, because you're speaking about it from a general, you know, standpoint. And, and I think that's just like a really interesting one that I've, um, that I've taken away. Um, and then I think the other is just like common stuff around um, just, just being unprepared, you know, mm -hmm. just really, right. Uh, you know, making up your narrative as you're in that room, right? And, mm -hmm. and, and, and uh, I'm not saying you have to have all the questions memorized. If anything, you probably shouldn't so that you, do, you don't want to sound rehearsed or scripted. Right. Um, but not having some of your key 
um, highlights, accomplishments, achievements, ready to go, not being able to answer questions around failures, disappointments, um, challenges and barriers that you've had to overcome Mm-hmm. Um, either through your, your personal life and or your professional experience. So I think there is an opportunity for us uh, to just be more prepared. And that means doing some things like, you know, uh, coaching prep, I mean, uh, sorry, interview prep with mm-hmm. a friend or yes. a family member that just goes back and forth with you and, and puts you into that into that hot seat um, and asks you some really, really challenging questions. You know, I it was brought up earlier today as well. Um, I was on a, on a panel earlier today with a lot of former colleagues or, or uh, um, black and brown leaders that I've hired and it, it mm-hmm. came up multiple times and it always has in my career that I'm, I'm a tough interviewer. <laughs> um, and, and, <laughs> um, and, and I, I do recognize that in myself, but I also recognize that part of that is because I do think that as, especially as people of color, we need to push each other in the right ways, um, to make sure that we're living up to the standards and expectations of others. Right. Um, which means that if I am putting you through a tough interview process, know that I'm the first line of defense and I'm doing that to better prepare you to go on to the next stage and thrive and be successful and crush it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would think, I would say that there's also an opportunity there for, you know, sometimes we kind of just pass each other on because like, Oh, that person's black or brown like me. Cool. Yeah. But what you don't realize is that by doing that, you're setting everybody up for failure. um, Mm -hmm. Because if that person isn't qualified for the job, um, then they shouldn't be put into that particular situation. Doesn't mean that they could not be coached, supported, um, maybe mm-hmm. considered for another role. Um, but I do think that there are times where we, we, we do each other a disservice mm-hmm. um, by either not preparing us for the reality of what's the, uh, on the other side or giving each other passes simply because we have a tribal or a community connection. It is a disservice, not only to the individual, but to to our community and to our population as a whole, right? Because then it kind of creates this confirmation bias for the dominant culture of, um, you know, you see, we we took a chance on this individual and they yeah. didn't, you know, they didn't live up to the expectations. And so then there's a kind of just this confirmation bias and then they apply that, you know, that assumption to everybody else. So I'm, I'm like you, I'm actually also a very tough, Um, recruiter and, you know, assessment. And I really do make sure that we're setting those individuals up for success. And like you, I think the important thing that they need to remember is that it's never just a no, never. It's a no, Mm. not right now. Um, Mm -hmm. You're not ready right now. Go do X, Y, and Z and then come back, you know, and do that. So I think um, what you just shared is critical. And I think that'll be, you know, something that's really valuable for our listeners to hear and understand and know that they they have to prepare. But on the other hand, um, you and I both know that a lot of times as women, as Latinas, as women of color, there are a lot of times where we undervalue our worth or our competencies, and we may not take an opportunity because of um, whether it's self-doubt, imposter syndrome, or thinking, I need to check all 10 boxes on this, you know, on this job requisition, opposed to, you know, the guy next door, or the guy next to her is like, oh, I check out, you know, four out of, out of 10, I'm still going to throw my hat in there because I can figure out the rest. What do you, what do you say to them in order to, to kind of balance that out a little bit? 
Absolutely. Um, imposter syndrome is real, like beyond real. Um, not only does it keep us away from opportunities and really shining at like our highest level and vibration, it also holds us back from being successful once we enter these organizations that aren't really ready to support us and to set us up for, for, for thriving. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember being at Google, what, you know, my entire team was solely focused on diversity, uh, software engineering talent. And mm-hmm. when we would call, you know, uh, our, our women, our female candidates, our black candidates, our Latinx candidates, most of them, nine times out of 10, they were in shock, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if, if they were getting me. Are you sure it's me? Do you have the wrong number? Google mm. wants me, right? And, and it mm-hmm. was just so concerning and discerning that like as an entire group of people and population, we've been so brainwashed to believe that we're not good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or, you know, and it's to me, it's, it's adversarial because if anything, we've proven time and time again that in just like what we've done in one or two generations is unbelievable, right? Like mm-hmm. my mother came from a, a, an island. She doesn't speak English. She, till this day, uh, she has an eighth grade education. Um, and I, you know, I'm a leader at one of the top companies in the world, um, you know, and with a master's degree and, and hopefully mm-hmm. a PhD in one generation, right? And so mm-hmm. I think we need to like, just throw all that BS away. Um, mm-hmm. and, and first and foremost, you're not a recruiter. So don't make decisions about whether or not you're the right person for a job when that's not your job. Right. Throw your name in the hat. Mm-hmm. Shoot your shot. Uh-huh. Again, don't unintentionally just throw, you know, a bunch of stuff at the wall and, and see what sticks. But don't sit there and second guess whether or not myself as a Mm -hmm. recruiter is going to say that you're not the right fit. Let me do my job. Your job is to identify the opportunity and to apply for it or to look for someone at the company um, that can connect you to someone else at the company and then let them decide if you're the right fit for the position. So don't limit yourself in any way. Um, Be deliberate, be intentional, be thoughtful, but not limiting. Um, You know, that that's not what, what your role is. And Remember that, you know, I always say this and I'm, I'm, I'm starting to coin it because I want to use it as sort of like my, my consulting brand. Uh-huh. They're, lucky to ha- they're lucky to have you. They're lucky to have you. I tell candidates this all the time, especially black and brown ones. Go into conversations remembering they are lucky to have you. We bring so much fire, tenacity. We've overcome barriers, adversity. We've juggled multiple things in our personal and professional lives. We, mm-hmm. we're, we are just excellencia in every single way, shape, or form. Yes. Um, and we contribute so much to organizations well beyond the day-to-day responsibility of that job. They are not doing you a favor with giving you that interview. They are not doing you a favor with giving you that job. They are not doing you a favor with giving you that paycheck. Um, and you have to go into those conversations truly knowing that and knowing your worth and what you are bringing to that organization, which is far greater than what they are bringing to you. That is fantastic, Giselle. And I don't know, you know, how we could, you know, wrap up the podcast any better with those words of encouragement for our listeners. And I know that they are going to be super stoked and probably wanting to figure out how do how do they get in touch with you how can someone reach out and and get in touch with you and kind of follow you and your words of wisdom and the inspiration that you can bring them absolutely absolutely so i i spend all day every day on linkedin um it's it's where i have my office hours my virtual <laughs> office hours um i am 
100% committed to returning all messages and connecting with as many people as I possibly can. Um, it may not be done within the time frame that um, you personally might want, um, <laughs> but know that like I read every single message, I respond and I spend time with as many people as I possibly can. Um, this is my life's work. This is my purpose. It's my, you know, my personal and professional ministry. Um, I am committed to access opportunity, economic empowerment for our people. Um, and, and, and this is what I do. So I'm here. Hit me up on LI, uh, Giselle Ruiz. Uh, you should be able to find me just under TikTok um, or, or ByteDance. Um, and uh, I look forward to, to staying connected. And thank you so much for this opportunity today. That's fantastic. Thanks so much, Giselle. Thanks for listening. There are thousands of podcasts out there, and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. Visit IamBeyondBarriers.com, where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources referenced in this episode. And be sure to take the quiz on the website. Your score will tell you where you are, what helps you gain momentum, and what holds you back. You'll also get a free guide with cutting-edge career strategies. We'd also love to hear from you. Share your comments and topic suggestions on IamBeyondBarriers.com and we'll be sure to address them in future episodes. If you enjoyed our show today, please subscribe and rate the podcast or just tell a friend about it. See you next episode.